Shalom. It is uh, the 25th of July, 2010, and we are uh, studying tradition. This is Lesson 5, entitled Mezuzah, or Sharpie Pen. Let's pray before we begin. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to gross ourselves in the words of Torah. Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. And may we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. This is from Deuteronomy 11:18 through 21. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them. But when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, and you shall write them on the doorposts. That's the word mezuzot, or mezuzah, which is the singular. Mezuzot is the plural. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which Adonai swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heaven above the earth. And that's Deuteronomy 8, 11, 18 through 21. Last lesson, uh, we, we looked at food uh, and uh, uh, issues regarding kosher. Uh, made it a little bit uh, personal. Uh, makes it a little bit uh, more intense because uh, although many people don't think of food as being personal, it is an intensely personal thing. Uh, it involves uh, personal decisions. Uh, so it makes it seem like it's more an individual kind of thing. In our modern culture, we think of food as individual. But in reality, as we've been seeing, uh, it is a community matter. It's a community, uh, whether you have uh, just eating with another person in a family or uh, a large family, or whether you have uh, <coughs> eating in the, in the company of other believers. This lesson... Uh, could be understood by some to be less personal because it involves a home. We're looking at the, the, the traditions regarding uh, mezuzot or mezuzah. Because, uh, because it is a home or a family thing, it seems less individual, less personal. What we've been seeing, though, from all of our look and our studies in, uh, into traditions is that, uh, that all of them re- pertain to community. And that was the focus of the study, is how it pertains to community. Even if a community is so small as to only have a few individuals in a family, uh, we, we understand that it is, is two or three gathered in my name that makes a community. And uh, because of that, these are not merely individual questions and merely uh, individual decisions to be made, but they're decisions that involve uh, the community in which you're a part of, the faith community in which you're a part of, whether it be a, a family, a large family, or, or uh, uh, a congregation of many families. We're learning that as we live as disciples of Messiah, it's not just an individual matter. That how we live should reflect community and love for one another. Tradition defines the how in how we live. The words are very clear in Scripture. For those that have uh, have under that understand the uh, the Scriptures to be a single message with a single uh, a single goal, revealing Messiah Yeshua, uh, and a single lifestyle, the Torah lifestyle. Um, it it is. Uh, very clear to read the words and understand what it is we're supposed to do. The how that we're supposed to do it is not as clear. And that's where we find tradition taking us. And these decisions become not simply individual decisions, but also community decisions. Uh, and uh, we shouldn't negate the aspect of community and all the things that we make, even when we are deciding for ourselves. We should be thinking about others and how it affects others. Some questions to ask in this uh, study on, on mezuzah, is, uh, is, is the commandment, the commandment that is to write these words in the doorposts of your house and on your gates, is it a literal commandment? 
If it's literal, does the commandment tell us how to write them? Does the commandment place importance on how to write them? What is a doorpost, a mezuzah? That's the, the Hebrew word for a doorpost is a mezuzah. What is a gate? If this command is not literal, how could this commandment be obeyed otherwise? A little background on the, on the tradition of uh, mezuzah. In Orthodox Judaism, uh, the commandment, write them, that is these words on your doorpost, is treated as literal. It is a literal commandment in, in, in Orthodox Judaism. Uh, how uh, they are written is, is the traditional part. And uh, there are extensive rules regarding uh, the mezuzah. And uh, the, the, what a mezuzah is, is it's, it, it's made up first of a, of, a, of a box, a mezuzah box, that's placed on the entrance of, the entrance of a house or a home or, or, a, or a building. And uh, also it's found in most internal doors of a home or a building. Uh, for instance, uh, it would not be found on a bathroom door but it would, or a closet door, but it would be found on bedroom doors, kitchen doors, uh, living room, family room doors, etc. Where there is a doorpost, um, you will find a mezuzah, uh, which is evidenced by a mezuzah box. A mezuzah box is normally what you see for sale, is a, uh, whether it's plastic, wood, metal, glass, um, uh, generally uh, uh, ab- about three inches uh, tall uh, and just may- maybe uh, a half or uh, to an inch wide uh, at a slight angle. Yeah, but it's with what's inside the box is what makes it a mezuzah. It is the, the small parchment called a cloth uh, and the cloth is, uh, contains two scripture passages, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. The cloth is written by a silver. A silver is a kosher scribe. It's someone who's been trained, follows the rules. 22 letters, uh, tw- excuse me, 22 lines are what makes up the cloth with these scripture passages. Uh, the rules of how they are made, uh, using, uh, ink that's made from vegetable products, uh, um, the quill is from a kosher bird, etc. These are these are uh, necessary requirements that any sofer knows. And if the cloth, the inside, is damaged, then the then it has to be replaced. So this requires a, a regular inspection process of of a, a mezuzah cloth. Uh, if it's if it's not uh, if it's damaged or if there's parts missing or if it's uh, uh, water damaged or whatever else, then it becomes uh, uh, unkosher and needs to be replaced. The mezuzah is the cloth and the box that hold it. So just the box is not a mezuzah. The mezuzah requires the cloth as well in traditional Judaism. Um, the mezuzah needs to be affixed uh, to the door immediately upon moving into a home or an apartment uh, Within, or within 30 days in the diaspora. If you live uh, outside the land of Israel, you have 30 days in which to uh, uh, attach, attach a mezuzah. If a, uh, when you, when, uh, in Orthodox Judaism, when, a, when someone vacates a home or, a, uh, or a, uh, an apartment, etc., and it's going to be occupied, it's known to be occupied by Gentiles, they'll remove uh, uh, the mezuzot from the door. Um, However, it's it's left if it's if it's uh, if it's they are left if if the home is to be uh, occupied by uh, um, by Jewish occupants later. The, the way we talk about the box being tilted inward at the top to the inside of the door. This is a compromise between uh, Rashi, twelfth uh, century sage Rashi, and uh, and Rabbeinu Tam, uh, who. Uh, the one wanted it vertical, the other wanted it horizontal. Putting it tilted towards the inside is a compromise between these two. Um, knowing that some of the rules regarding uh, a mezuzah uh, were, were, were more developed in the Middle Ages, and knowing that some of, uh, some of the uh, inscriptions on the outside of the box or on the, on the back side of the, uh, of the cloth uh, have... Uh, have uh, um, Kabbalistic, or appear to be Kabbalistic, uh, or Talmudic. Many uh, anti-Semites have used uh, the mezuzah and, and the traditions regarding the mezuzah to uh, uh, 
bring uh, bring uh, Orthodox Judaism's practice of using the mezuzah into disrepute, uh, saying that it's, uh, it's somehow magical and and it's all about uh, it's all about uh, you know some sort of uh, magical power to protect the home or whatever. Uh, these these kind of uh, certainly we don't know why everyone puts a mezuzah on their door, but traditional Judaism absolutely is and positively is is against that idea. So anti Semites who have who have tried to use the mezuzah to paint Judaism in a in a uh, in a bad light are 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 not telling the truth. Additionally, the uh, the traditions regarding the mezuzah, although some of them were developed in the Middle Ages, the practice is actually very ancient. It precedes the first century CE. It was certainly something that the that, that Yeshua Messiah, Yeshua and his disciples uh, would have uh, practice in the first century as it was a well-known and, and well-established tradition in the first century. Uh, jo- Josephus writes about, uh, writes about um, uh, the use of uh, mezuzot uh, in his Antiquities uh, 4, uh, 8.13, it says, Josephus writes, Let everyone commemorate before God the benefits which he bestowed upon them at their deliverance out of the land of Egypt, and this twice every day. Speaking of, it's speaking about the Shema. Uh, both when the day begins and when the hour of sleep comes on, gratitude being in its own nature a just thing and serving not only by way of return for past, but also by way of invitation of future favors. So it's not just reminding uh, us of what God has done in the past, but also uh, make, making a way for us to understand that God's gracious gifts to us come from us uh, in a similar way as being rescued from Egypt. They, continuing, they are also to inscribe the principal blessings that they have received from God upon their doors, uh, mezuzot, and show the same remembrance upon their arms, speaking about tefillah, which we'll be looking at in the next few weeks. Uh, Also, they are to bear on their forehead and their arm these wonders which declare the power of God and his good goodwill toward them, that God's readiness to bless them may appear everywhere conspicuous about them. So Josephus is writing about this in the first century, the late first century, writing about how this practice of writing writing the principal blessings of deliverance from Egypt upon their doors. And he specifically mentions the Shema uh, before uh, the beginning of the day and the end of the day, speaking about the, speaks about the Shema, excuse me. This gives us uh, a background to know that Josephus would, uh, is, is telling us that the scriptures inscribed on uh, the doorposts in the first, or the, at least the late first century when he wrote this, were Deuteronomy 6, which is the first uh, paragraph of the Shema, or the, and Deuteronomy 11, the second paragraph of, of, of the Shema. So these scriptures were, uh, were even that early being used as, uh, as the scriptures, the words that would be inscribed upon the doors. Uh, we also read uh, in, in Lawrence uh, Schiffman's uh, Reclaiming the Dead Sea Scrolls, he writes about Dead Sea Scroll communities, which would predate even the first century. It would be going from about uh, 200 before the Common Era till about uh, 100 uh, of the Common Era. Here's what he writes. Uh, is He says, We learn from these, Mezuzot, that the, the same passages required by later rabbinic halakha were also required here, namely Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and 11, 13 through 21, the first two paragraphs of the Shema. But the Qumran mezuzah, mezuzah texts have additional material, for, for example, the Ten Commandments, and he, and he cites uh, Exodus 20 and also the repetition of the Ten Commandments of the Ten Words from Deuteronomy 5. So we, we see that this practice was an ancient practice, it's not something that... Uh, that the detractors of Judaism, the anti-Semites who uh, who hate everything Talmudic or rabbinic and Kabbalistic, uh, tend to make it. Uh, we know that this is an ancient practice that uh, that was simply continued or referenced uh, both in the Talmud and also in the in the uh, Holy Zohar, as it's as it's uh, called. There's a practice for uh, uh, kissing a mezuzah. Uh, when we say kiss the mezuzah, it's not the physical kissing of the mezuzah, but rather the touching of the mezuzah as you pass through a doorway uh, and the kissing of the fingers that touched. Uh, you can see this anywhere you go in, in, in Jewish communities, uh, in observant communities where uh, you see mezuzahs uh, um, uh, on doorposts, both entrance to homes and internal doors uh, with the persistent uh, reaching up with the right hand, touching the mezuzah and touching the lips. Uh, this 
constant reminder that the uh, that the words of deliverance, the words deliverance on those on that cloth are written uh, in in uh, on the cloth and it's stored in the mezuzah box. The constant reminder of that 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 the uh, the uh, occupiers of the home are uh, are the property of of uh, Hashem and that they live under his um, under his protection. There's a, a marvelous story of uh, Ankalas, uh, a proselyte. Uh, this would be early second century CE uh, in the Talmud, uh, specifically in the Babylonian Talmud, uh, uh, Avodah Zara in 11a. It says when Ankalas, the son of Kalonimus, uh, became a proselyte, the emperor sent a contingent of Roman soldiers after him, but he enticed them by citing scriptural verses, and they became converted to Judaism. Thereupon, the emperor sent another Roman cohort after him, bidding him, bidding them not to say anything to him. As they were about to take him away with them, he said to them, "Let me just tell you an ordinary thing. In a procession, in the torch, the torchlighter carries the light in front of the torchbearer, the torchbearer in front of the leader, the leader in front of the governor, the governor in front of the chief officer." But does the chief officer carry the light in front of the people that follow? No, they said. He said, Yet the Holy One, blessed is he, does carry the light before Israel. For scripture says, And Hashem went before them in a pillar of fire to give them light. Then they too became converted. And the story of Ankhla, son of Kalinamas, says, Again, he sent another cohort, ordering them not to enter into any conversation with him, Ankhla's, so they took hold of him, and as they were walking, he saw the mezuzah, which was fixed to the doorframe, and he placed his hand on it, saying, Now what is this? And they replied, You tell us, then. And he said, According to the universal custom, the mortal king dwells within, and his servant keeps guard on him without. But in the case of the Holy One, blessed is he, it is his servants who dwell within, which he guards them from without. As it is said, Hashem shall guard thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Then they too were converted to Judaism. He sent that he sent for him no more. Uh, story of Ankalos and Avodazera, eleven a. We we read we read about such thing as providing protection, and there's the, there's this uh, again. Uh, people teach that the that the mezuzah or people. Uh, uh, detract from Judaism's uh, tradition of mezuzah by by saying that Judaism teaches this is a protection like some sort of uh, like some sort of uh, um, amulet or a talisman that keeps that protects from evil spirits and this is this is not at all how it is described either in the Talmud or in uh, later sages uh, in. Uh, in, in the in the and in the Middle Ages, in the days of Rashi and others, who made reference to the mezuzah, that's not at all. It's rather a reference to the protection, uh, not only physical protection from evil, but also protection from sin. It is it it is seen as a sign. Uh, is Israel is the unique property of Hashem, and He guards her. It's a sign for all those, not only those for affix the mezuzah, but also those that see it, both seen and unseen. That. Those that live within the home or, or, or occupy the building of the that the mezuzah is on are the property of Hashem's and that they must live faithfully to Him. A, a sign and a symbol, a witness of fidelity and allegiance. But regarding, uh, regarding that, the idea that sin is, a, is, a, is rebellion against our master, our, our, our king, is seen in the uh, Babylonian uh, Talmud in, in Menachot 43b, where Rabbi Eliezer ben Yo- uh, Yaakov says, "Whoever has tefillin on his head." Well, again, we'll be speaking about this a uh, uh, couple weeks from now, and uh, uh, tefillin on his arm and zitzit on his garments. We'll be speaking about that next week. And the mezuzah on his doorpost is an absolute security against sinning, for it is written, "And a threefold cord is not quickly broken." And it is also written, the angel of, of Hashem encampeth around about them that fear him, and he delivered, delivereth them. So we see that the mezuzah is seen as a, as a, as a guard, a, uh, a guard and a protection against sin, because it reminds the occupier that they are the property of the king, of the universe, 
and that their actions and the behavior is under his watchful eye always. Know this, that there is an eye that sees, an ear that hears, and all our deeds are recorded in a book. That's the background of tradition of the mezuzah, but what does scripture say? Go to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And we'll read also Deuteronomy 11, the companion passage. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, Adonai our God, Adonai is one. You shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. The word doorpost there again is mezuzot, uh, where we get the word mezuzah from. On the doorposts, write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. In the Shema, as it's written in the Torah scroll, this is the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4, in the Shema phrase, that first verse, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, Adonai our God, Adonai is one. That, in that, in a, on a Torah scroll, the Ayin, from the word Shema, here, Shema, the Ayin, the letter Ayin, is a large letter written in a Torah scroll. And when you get to the last uh, word in the verse, Echad, or one, uh, Adonai is one, Echad, the Dalit, the D sound, the Dalit, is also written in a large letter. Now, reading from right to left, we can see that spells Ad, which is the word witness in Scripture. This is not by accident. The Sofer always writes the Torah scroll this way. He always writes it with, a, in, with an enlarged uh, ayin and an enlarged uh, dalit uh, for Deuteronomy 6.4. Uh, this idea of being a witness, and in your workbook, we, we went through uh, other references to this word ad used in the uh, Hebrew scriptures, witness, and I gave you a bunch of references, the first of which we found in Genesis 31.43-52. through 52. This is what it says, starting in verse 43. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. Uh, just background, first of all, before we get into this. Uh, the background is uh, Jacob has left with his, uh, his wives, um, uh, um, and they, he has left Laban's home, and, and uh, he has taken his, uh, his wives, Laban's daughters, uh, he's taken them back to the land of Israel. Before entering the land of Israel, at the border of li- entering what, what is the land of Israel, uh, Laban catches up with Jacob. And, and challenges him, uh, you know, against, uh, essentially accusing him of stealing. Uh, so, this is where the verse picks up in verse 43. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, speaking of his grandchildren. And this flock is my flock, speaking of the flocks that uh, Jacob took, which are actually were rightfully his. All that you see is mine, but what can I do this day to these, my daughters, or to their children, whom they have born? Now, therefore, let... Come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and it will be a witness between you and me. That's the word odd. So Jacob took a stone and set up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there on the heap. Laban called it uh, Shegur Shadukah. But Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness. Ad, between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid, also Mizpah, because he said, May Adonai watch between you and me where we are absent from one another. If you afflict my daughters, if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, God is witness, Ad, between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is a heap, and there is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I may not pass upon beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. Here we see this witness and this sign, uh, a pile of stones that reminds each of the parties to this covenant of their agreement to each other. And, and uh, Hashem is a witness to this agreement. 
So basically, they're offering, they're offering not to hurt one another and to abide by the covenant agreement on the basis of this witness, this odd. <clears throat> the next, uh, next passage uh, we looked up was Joshua 22, 25 through 29. Beginning in verse 25, For Adonai made, has made the Jordan border between you and us. Uh, I need to set this up first. Uh, this is, uh, if you remember, the, the descendants, the Reubenites and the Gadites, uh, the descendants of Reuben and Gad, the two tribes, they stayed on the uh, east side of the Jordan. They wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan. They came to, uh, they came to Moses. They had presented their, uh, their part saying, uh, we, we find places for our cattle and for our, for our flocks here on this side. This is more uh, conducive to raising uh, cattle and flocks, which are our profession. We'd like to stay on this side of the Jordan. Uh, when, you, when the rest of the tribes go on the other side of the Jordan, we'll follow with them, we'll fight with them, we'll worship with them. However, our homes will be on the, on the east side of the Jordan. So in verse 25, Joshua 22:25, For Adonai has made the Jordan a border between you and us, your, you, you children of Reuben and children of uh, God. You have no part in Adonai, so your descendants, so your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing Adonai. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for birth offering or for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness, odd, between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of Adonai before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in the time to come, they have no part in Adonai. Therefore we said to them, therefore we, we said that it will be when they say this to us, or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of Adonai, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offering or for sacrifices, but it is a witness, odd, between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against Adonai, and turn from following Adonai this day, to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, for sacrifices, besides the altar of Adonai our God, which is before his tabernacle. This is a this is the word odd, this witness. This altar was being erected not to be used. It was actually an unused altar that the Reubenites would be able to point to, the Gadites would be able to point to, and show that, that, uh, they, uh, that it was a witness and show that they did not abandon uh, the rest of the tribes and the service to the Almighty God, but rather that they would continue to uh, come to uh, the tabernacle, the, the place where his name was, uh, uh, where, uh, where Hashem placed his name. Uh, we know that in the future that would, be, would have been Jerusalem, future for them would have been Jerusalem. Uh, so this was a reminder that they would uh, continue to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and still be a part of uh, all Israel. The next passage we looked up was Psalm 89. Verses 34 through 37. Psalm 89, verse 34. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. This is Hashem speaking. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever. It's a messianic promise. And his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Selah. That's the word odd. The moon serves as a witness to the faithfulness of Hashem. It is a reminder to the faithfulness of Hashem. The witness, the word uh, witness there is the word odd. The moon is an odd to Hashem's faithfulness. The next passage we looked up was Isaiah 43, which says, this is Hashem speaking again, you, speaking to Israel, you are my witnesses. Ad, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Israel is a witness, a reminder, odd, to all of creation that there's no God but Hashem. And then the, the last verse we looked up uh, for for witness, for odd, was Jeremiah 42, 1 through 6. Uh, and uh, we focused on verse 5. Uh, context, I'll give you verse 1 through 6. Uh, now all the captains of the forces, Yochanan, the son of uh, Kariach, and 
Yezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please, let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to Adonai your God, for all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that Adonai your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard, indeed, I will pray to Adonai your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever Adonai answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, Let Adonai be true a faithful witness, Ad, between us. If we do not do according to whichever, to everything which Adonai your God sends us by you, whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of Adonai our God, to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of Adonai our God. Here, Adonai, uh, Hashem is the witness, the faithful witness between the, the parties, Jeremiah, and uh, the, uh, the forces that came, and uh, the faithful witness that they have agreed that they will obey what God tells uh, Jeremiah to tell them. They'll obey it. They'll keep it. He is the faithful witness. <clears throat> Odd. So we see, we see this idea, this concept, uh, born out in Deuteronomy 6.4, uh, which has the Ayin and the Dalit uh, of, of the Shema uh, verse, and, and those verses that follow as witnesses or signs. Witnesses both of the faithfulness of Hashem to the people uh, to whom these words were given, and also witnesses of the uh, the faithfulness, the declaration of obedience and allegiance of the people to whom these words have been given back towards their king. So this witness that stands in the middle, uh, this witness that speaks of a covenant between a, uh, an almighty God who's immutable and unchanging and his covenant people, an eternal covenant, a witness of this eternal covenant. I had, uh, I had given you Deuteronomy 11 uh, simply to show you the words that were to be written. And then we went to Deuteronomy 27 and Joshua 8, uh, to, describing a very, uh, a very unusual ceremony uh, upon entering the land. Uh, and from it we asked the question, is this a big mezuzah, this, uh, this ceremony that takes place as they go into the land? Are they erecting a giant mezuzah? Go to Deuteronomy 11, verse 13, and we'll read the words again. Deuteronomy 11.13, I'll read through verse 32. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love Adonai your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you rain for your land and its season, the early rain and the late rain, that you may gather in your grain your wine, your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. Take heed for yourself, lest you, your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest Adonai's anger be aroused against you and you shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land yield no produce and you will perish quickly from the good land which Adonai is giving you. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your, and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which Adonai swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. For if you declare, if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to, to do, to love Adonai your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, then Adonai will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place in which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea, shall be your territory. No man sh shall be able to stand against you. Adonai, your God, will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon the land where you tread, just as he has said to you, Behold, I set before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of Adonai your God, which I command you today. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of Adonai your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today, to go after other gods which you have not known. 
Now it shall be, when Adonai, your God, has brought you into, your, into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim, and the curse on Mount Ebal. And they, are, and they are not on the other side of the Jordan, toward, are they not on the other side of the Jordan, toward the setting sun, in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain opposite Gilgal, beside the terebinth tree of Moreh? For they will not cross over the Jordan, for, it, for you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which Adonai your God is giving you, and you will possess it and dwell in it, and you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments which I set before you today. Here we see in Deuteronomy 11, these words uh, are to be written upon their, first of all, they're, they're to love God and to, and to uh, write and, and have these words in their heart, but also they're to be written, uh, they're to be written on their doorposts and upon their gates, goes through all these words and then it says that uh, these, these words are a blessing for keeping of them or a curse for disobeying but then it describes when you go into the land I want you to go in, uh, into the Jordan uh, cross over the Jordan go into the land of, of the Canaanites this promised land and there at Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal these twin mountains in the center of the land you're to write curses, blessings on uh, Gerizim and curses on Mount Ebal or he's a giant mezuzah. <laughs> Deuteronomy 27, 1-13. This is where uh, Moses commands them again to do this. Chapter 27, verse 1. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which Adonai your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law, this Torah, when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which Adonai your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as Adonai, your, your God, Adonai God of your fathers promised you. Therefore it shall be, when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal, you shall set up these stones which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to Adonai your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of Adonai your God, and offer burnt offerings on it to Adonai your God. You shall offer per- peace offerings, and shall eat there, and rejoice before Adonai your God. And you shall write very plainly in the stones all the words of this law, this Torah. Then Moses and the priests and the Levites spoke to Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel, this day which you become the people of Adonai your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of Adonai your God, observe his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over to the Jordan. Simeon, uh, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali. And then uh, we read how uh, Israel uh, accomplished, did, perfectly obeyed God in, in setting up these, uh, uh, this uh, mezuzah on uh, Mount uh, Ebal. Uh, Joshua 8, 30-35. Now Joshua built an altar to Adonai, God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of Adonai, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar with whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to Adonai and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which had been written. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of Adonai, the stranger, as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. Then, as Moses, the servant of Adonai, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel, and afterwards to read the law, words of the law, the blessings and the curses, according to all that is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Adonai, uh, assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, the children who were living among them. That's Deuteronomy 27, four, uh, that's, uh, excuse me, that's Joshua 8, 30-35. This, uh, these words written, as it were, on the gateway uh, to the plains, uh, the, the western plains of the land of Israel, uh, coming from, uh, coming from the east, crossing over the Jordan, uh, in the center, uh, you would, uh, come to these, uh, a mountain range, and the mountain, the two, uh, 
mountains in the mountain range, Eval and uh, Gerzim, uh, entering through, as it were, a doorpost, the valley there uh, between the two, uh, where uh, Shechem uh, uh, was, uh, modern-day uh, Nablus, uh, in the, uh, what's known as the West Bank in Samaria. Uh, that it would be the entrance, really, into, uh, uh, into the uh, fertile valleys of uh, Israel. Standing uh, almost like a mezuzah, uh, standing with these words written, uh, in this case, the whole Torah written upon uh, Mount, uh, an altar upon Mount Ebal. Um, when it says write these words, uh, are these literal? Write them. Right, let's go back to Deuteronomy 6. Yeah, we had these uh, passages that we put on here and, and uh, asked questions. What are these words that we're to write? In Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. So, words being in our heart uh, is, is one concept. And then it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. This involves uh, both speaking and acting out. You shall talk of them, speak them. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them. Again, action. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. There are those that like to say that Deuteronomy 6 is talking about writing it on the doorpost of your house is a theological concept. It's a, it's a, it's a nice little idea that it's supposed to, it's supposed to be a, a, a thought or a, uh, a doctrine but not an action. And if you read Deuteronomy 6 in context, what you get is these are not thoughts. These are not nice little theological ideas. These are imperative words. Command you that they should be in your heart. You shall teach them. You shall talk of them. You shall talk of them when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall find them. You shall write them. These are action words. These are not... It doesn't tell us how we're supposed to write them, but it most certainly tells us that we are to write them on the doorposts of our house and upon our gates. Uh, where are we told to, to, write, to write them? Uh, we're commanded that they should be in our hearts, but we're supposed to write them on the doorposts of our house and on our gates. Uh, we read in, in the New Covenant, Jeremiah 31, that the... Uh, the commandments are written upon our hearts. That is, that, is, that is Hashem writing His commandments upon our hearts. Our duty is that they're to be in our heart, Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, and yet it is equally our duty that we are to write them. Our part is writing them on the doorposts of our house and upon our gates. God's part is that He writes them on our heart. So, our action is to write them on the doorposts of our house and upon our gates. Our action is to love him, that his words shall be in our heart, that we should speak of them, that we should bind them, that we should write them. Uh, why are we told to write them? Deuteronomy 11.21 actually gives us some, some, a purpose clause for the writing of these words upon our doorposts and upon our gates. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21 says, Therefore you shall lay up these, these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Here's the purpose clause that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which Adonai swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heaven above the earth. Or as it says in the article, like the days of the heaven upon the earth. How are we to write them? It doesn't say. You don't like the traditions of the mezuzah? Do you have a better way to literally write these words upon your doorposts and upon your gates? Can you write them upon your doorposts and upon your gates and preserve them so that they don't uh, decay, so that they don't uh, um, get chipped or dirtied or uh, profaned? The mezuzah and the periodic 
inspection of the cloth inside the mezuzah provides a tradition that obeys the little command, literal commandment at the same time makes sure that the words that are written there are faithfully protected and honored as they should be. The tested tradition questions. That is how we will write these words on the door, our doorposts and on our gates. Does this tradition, that is how we will write them, in keeping one commandment, obscure a more important commandment? Does this tradition, that is how we will write them, turn us away from commandments? Does this tradition, that is how we will write them, cause division between Jew and Gentile? Does this tradition, or rejecting this tradition, that is how we write them, make us distinct from greater Israel? How does Israel, how does greater Israel honor God, obey his commandment to write it on the doorposts of their house and upon their gates? Do we determine to do it differently so that we are distinct and different from Israel, greater Israel? Whose side are we on? If you can answer no to those test your tradition questions, the last question is, does this tradition, how we write them on our doorposts or on our gates, unnecessarily burden us? Is there another way to keep the commandment in question? In summary, we are witnesses of the incalculable wisdom of Hashem. He gave us good commandments because He loves us with an everlasting, eternal love. Our love for Him is evidence in our obedience to every word, every breath that He breathes. Physically writing Hashem's words as a sign on our dwelling place, as a witness, reminds us and everyone around us, seen and unseen, that we, the people of God, are the property of an all-powerful and loving King. It's a witness of our allegiance to Him. When we affix a mezuzah to our door, our gates, our entranceways, it identifies us with greater Israel. With that identification comes great responsibility. We need to live consistently with what that mezuzah stands for. Consistently with our declaration of our allegiance to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A caution. If you put a mezuzah on your dwelling place, be prepared to be blessed, but be prepared for the inevitable attacks as well. Don't turn your back on Israel when you are persecuted because you have a mezuzah on your doorpost. In Avodah Zarah 3b, it says, Rabbi Yossi says, In time to come, idol worshippers will cast, will come and offer themselves as proselytes, as converts to Judaism. But will such be accepted? Has it not been taught that in the days of the Messiah, proselytes will not be received? Likewise, are none received in the days of David or Solomon? Well, they will be, there will be self-made proselytes. We'll place phylacteries to fill it on their foreheads and on their arms, zitzit, fringes on their garments, and a mezuzah on their doorposts. But when the battle of God and Magog will come about, they will be asked, For what pers- purpose have you come? And they will reply, Against God and his Messiah, as it is written, why are the nations in uproar? Why do the peoples mutter in vain? Then each of the proselytes will throw aside his religious token and get away. Here in Avodah Zarah, we read a very sad, some would see a prophetic account, where people who use the symbols of Judaism, self-made converts, using Tefillin, Tzitzit, and Mezuzah as a sham, as a as fake Jews. But when push comes to shove and when persecution 
And when uh, Gog and Magog battle against Israel, they'll side with the enemy and not with Israel. May it never be spoken of the disciples of Messiah Yeshua to be named among these. Rather, when we follow these traditions, this how, of how to keep the commandment of Hashem, to write it on our doorposts and on our gates, that we be very careful to remember that it is a symbol, it is a witness of our loyalty to the King and to His chosen people, and that we should not abandon Him or them. The prayer focus uh, for this lesson was the blessing for affixing a mezuzah. It's normally said the first, the, with the first mezuzah fixed and then the rest then that follow are, are done without the blessing. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to affix a mezuzah. That's from the Art Scroll Complete Sudor, page 227. Deuteronomy. 27, 4 through 8 says, Therefore it shall be, when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal, you, have, you shall set up these stones which I command you today, and you shall, be, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to Adonai your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of Adonai your God, and offer burnt offerings on it to Adonai your God. You shall offer peace offerings, and, there you, sh- and you shall eat there. And rejoice before Adonai your God, and you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this Torah. Deuteronomy 27, 4-8. Let's close in prayer. We thank you, O Adonai our God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall. You have not established our portion with idlers. For we arise early, and they arise early. We arise early for the words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil and they toil. We toil and receive reward and they toil and do not receive reward. We run and they run. We run to the life of the world to come and they run to the pit of destruction as it is written. And you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Shalom.